I do uh, want to thank the church for praying for my back. Um, walking without a cane for the last two days, so uh, it is getting better, getting stronger. A little sore right now. I think that's just a result of, of Isaac and I working as hard as we did today, uh, getting some things moved around here and getting everything set up. But I do appreciate your prayers. Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 27. Uh, and we're just going to kind of wrap this up, actually. We're going to read verses 26 through 46, um, kind of bringing to conclusion some things that we've been studying for quite some time here. Um, and we'll begin there in verse 26 of Genesis 27. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of, the, of his raiment and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. Now this is blessing number one. We're going to get to these in a minute. But this is blessing number one. This is the blessing for Jacob. And Isaac says, See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat, and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise, and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly, and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken, ven taken venison, and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest. And have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? And the reference here is to what Jacob means, which is uh, we've mentioned before, usurper. For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept, and Isaac his father answered and said unto him, and this is the second blessing, the blessing for Esau, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill, kill thee. 
Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until my brother's fury turn until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? And of course, we'll deal with that last verse uh, towards the end of this outline. Now, I've, I've made the statement before that, uh, when emphasizing that salvation is of the Lord, that if salvation were of the teacher, the preacher, me, myself, I'd have to keep you. And we see this illustrated here by Rebecca. Her master plan for, uh, for getting the blessing to fall on Jacob, uh, she took it upon herself for this uh, type of salvation, for this type of blessing uh, snatching, and now she has to hatch another plan to keep her sons alive, to keep her sons from uh, from bickering or feuding. Uh, again, this harkens back to Sarai. It was her idea for Abram to go into Hagar to have a son because she couldn't provide him one. And then as soon as the son came along and as soon as Isaac was coming into fruition, uh, she despised her servant. She despised the idea that she had to begin with. And this is where Rebecca finds herself now as well. Uh, it's an interesting thing as we look at this broken home, and we define broken home differently in 2022 than what we might hear. It's not uh, seemingly as devastating to the 2022 American uh, to see a home in disarray. We define a broken home as one that's uh, more nuclear, one of divorce, one of kids of different parents outside of the home. But this is a broken home. A husband and wife are there, but they're not one. A husband and wife are there, but they're not communicating. They're not leading together. They're not growing together. The, the children are coming up separately. We see Esau come back into the scene here, and I'm just giving a brief overview. And he presents the blessing, or, or the, presents the venison, and he says, "I here's the food. Where's my blessing?" And this is very much the attitude we should expect Esau to have. It's how he's been reared up. It's how he's been led. Attitude reflects leadership, as uh, some might remember the, remember the Titans movie. This is exactly what Esau has had modeled for him all along. He grows bitter. And in his words here, he says, um, uh, let me find it again, um, just before the blessing, I believe. Is he right, rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. Listen to how Esau phrases this. He says of his brother, Jacob, he took away my birthright. If we recall in Scripture correctly, this is the same birthright Esau despised. So Jacob took something that Esau didn't want. He took first my birthright. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Uh, there's certain ways in which we could phrase this and it's more humanly speaking but uh, I, I can't help but think of reaping what we sow we sow disorder we reap disorder and this is what has happened to Isaac's home the first thing we want to look at though as we deal with the the details of this text uh, I have just four points tonight Jacob's blessing uh, the second point is Esau's home that's a phrase 
Third point is Esau's heart, and then the last point will be Esau's blessing, and then we'll speak to Rebekah's last line, which really carries over into chapter 28 more than anything else. Jacob's blessing, though, is the first thing we want to see. It's, it sort of wraps up Jacob's part um, in the first person of this context. In this blessing lay the same words of God's promise to Abram that we read back in Genesis 12.3. And Genesis 12.3 reads, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is the blessing that Isaac is pronouncing on Jacob here. There's also here a line of, of oddness that we must at least draw some attention to. Remember that Isaac thought he was blessing Esau. He didn't think he was blessing Jacob. He thought he was blessing Esau. And if he was aware of what God had said unto Rebekah back in Genesis 25, 23, this part of his blessing seemed to be in direct opposition of God's blessing. He says, let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Now, again, if Isaac, who's saying this, pronouncing this blessing, if he's speaking of himself, if he's coherent, that he is addressing Esau, when we know he isn't, but he's thinking he's addressing Esau, and he had any idea what God had said to Rebekah, then this is a direct uh, contradiction, a direct rebellion of what God had already said his will was. Recall that God's statement was that the elder shall serve the younger, the elder here being Esau, the younger being Jacob. Balaam, too, was caused to bless Israel, even though it was not his intention. Consider Numbers 23, verses 11 through 12, and uh, don't look at God as a conniving one. He's just simply smarter than we are, and, and, and smarter doesn't even do it justice. Listen to this. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? I think that verse is, is beautiful in application to Isaac here. Isaac may think he knows what's going on. He felt the, uh, the coarse hair on the back of the hand. He smelled the raiment. This is Esau. I'm going to give him the blessing I want to give him. I'm going to do it my way, maybe, is what Isaac says. But the very words that come out of his mouth were God's promises that were foretold before these boys left the womb and they were given directly to Jacob, just as God said it would be. Now our second point, Esau's home. The very recognition of this phrase, Esau's home, causes a trembling in Isaac. And we've referenced this ahead of time, um, but I just want you to really, really think about this for a minute. Did Isaac know the blessing that God had already pronounced back in Genesis 25? Did he know that God intended for Jacob to have this blessing? Because his realization here that this is Esau and whoever was here before was definitely not Esau almost seems to bring about an idea or a notion, and I won't be dogmatic about it, but it feels as though the notion that Isaac knew what God wanted and realize here he played right into God's hand, that he did not thwart the will of God even a little bit. Not one jot, not one tittle had been removed, had been diverted, had been uh, audibled, if you will. 
As if providentially stayed by the hand of God himself, Esau's arrival is delayed until the end of the pronounced blessing. It literally says in the text, scarcely, scarcely removed, as though Jacob had just barely left the room. The blessing had just barely been uh, finished in pronunciation, and then in walks Esau with the venison. I'm home, Daddy. Where's the blessing? And you can almost hear the screen door close around back as Jacob sneaks out. A very clear type is revealed to us here as Isaac responds to his own son with, Who art thou? Think of what we read in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It might have been the desire of Isaac's heart to show preference to Esau, but it was the will of God that overrode everything. It might have been the conniving of Rebekah to, uh, to fix that uh, goat skin to the back of Jacob's hand somehow and to, to orchestrate all of these things so that the, the side dishes and the savory uh, herbs and the way in which this, this goat meat was prepared would remind Isaac so much of the venison that he wouldn't even question it. But it was God that overrode everything. It may have been Esau's intent to get back as quickly as possible with the best venison imaginable from the wilderness. But it was God that overrode everything. Some might say, but uh, if one thing had changed, all of this would have come off the rails. You only get one shot at December 21st, 2022. You don't get to redo it tomorrow. We don't get to sit down and say, well, it almost went this way. It only went the way that it went. And that's the situation here. We can say, oh, how close. It almost went the other way. But it only went one way. There's no red flag reviews in life. Despite what the NFL and baseball and commercials say, you can't redo it. God overrode everything in this situation. You think Esau wasn't fuming mad enough that he could have put aside mourning for his father when his father wasn't really going to die for another 30 years or so to go ahead and kill his brother right then and there? And yet God overrode everything. How did Rebecca even hear about this? We don't know. Text didn't say. But God overrode everything. God allowed for her to hear it. God allowed for there to be a, a plan in place for him to scurry off to, La to Laban. The very last line of the chapter reveals that not only did Rebecca hatch a new plan for Jacob to scurry off, but she was already laying down the groundwork with her deceived husband. This is why he should go. This is why he should go. Romans 9.15 comes to mind, and we've referenced it a lot as we've gone through this chapter. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Beloved, he can't be defeated. And here's something we ought to think about when we read Romans 9.15, when he says, he'll have mercy on whom he'll have mercy, compassion on whom he'll comp have compassion. This means that everything will cater to the will of God when he sees fit to have mercy or express compassion. 
that everything will happen exactly the way it has to so that this mercy and compassion can be delivered. So when we say one must hear the gospel, and we might think of some, that we may, man, it doesn't make sense how they'll ever hear the gospel. But then 20, 30 years down the road, we find out somehow they heard the gospel and they were saved. You ever asked yourself, because there was a few of us that weren't in this room that weren't raised Baptists. You ever ask yourself, how in the world did we ever hear the true gospel? I was mucking it up in Roman Catholicism. How did I ever hear the truth? How did I ever hear the true gospel? Well, wouldn't you know it? I had a Baptist friend who invited me to a youth group meeting in the middle of the week, and the youth group leader gave me the gospel. I'd never heard that before in my life. How'd that happen? I never went back. I never saw that guy ever again. My buddy, sure, but not that, not that counselor that was faithful to God to give me the gospel. How do things like this happen? It's because God will show mercy and compassion on whom he will show mercy and compassion, and he will override everything to do it. When he says, I will, he's not saying, if you'll let me. He, when he says, I will, he's not saying, if the circumstances are right, if everything falls into place. This isn't like winning a fantasy football championship, beloved. This is God who ordained everything, spoke everything into existence. He's not afraid of time, of weather, of our stubbornness. He simply will show mercy. And he simply will show compassion on whom he has seen fit to show mercy and compassion to. We can look at this chapter as we have and say, what a mess. But did Jacob not receive the blessing that God said back in Genesis 25 he would receive? We can look at this chapter and say, there's a number of ways this could have gone wrong. We can look at this chapter and say, there's a lot of ways this shouldn't have happened. God's people shouldn't do it this way. But God overrode everything, and it still went the exact way he said that it would. And I have this point in quotes in, in my outline, Esau's home. Because I want us to think of it as coming from the mouth of Isaac as he was trembling exceedingly, according to our text. Now, he doesn't speak it out loud as far as the text says. He doesn't, it doesn't say that he said anything. It just says that he trembles. But no doubt that's what echoed in his mind. Esau's home. That means Esau wasn't home a few minutes ago, scarcely a few minutes ago. That means this is the real Esau. That means I have to face my son, who I've not led well, and I have to tell him the truth. You ever been caught in a lie? You ever been caught in deceit? You ever been caught in bad parenting? It's real easy for us to come up with examples of when we were teenagers and we lied, or when we were teenagers and we stole, or when we were teenagers and we snuck out. But how about it, adults? As parents, have you ever been caught in bad leadership? Have you ever been caught setting a bad example? and had to confess unto your children, not because they lead to home, but because you want to lead well, you have to confess unto them that you've not done as the Lord would command? This is the situation that Isaac's in now. He has to explain to Esau the blessing's gone. The blessing was given away. It's as though I don't know you. I was deceived into thinking you were here and you weren't. Maybe that's the worst part. But probably the worst part is Isaac is realizing God's will won and he wasn't lined up with it. If you're here tonight, maybe you've never heard this before, you need to. God's will is going to win. 
the reason we encourage you and we encourage ourselves to line yourselves up with the will of God, to study and understand the word of God so that you can see and understand the will of God is because his will is going to win. One day soon, he's going to appear yet again. He is going to take his saints home. And seven years later, he will come and be victorious as he sets foot on this earth one last time. These things are going to happen. They're not going to be thwarted by global warming. They're not going to be thwarted by good intentions or good behavior or apologizing the right amount of times. This is the will of God. It's written in blood. It's written in this book. It's going to happen. It was revealed to John as though John was literally taken into the room in which these plans had been laid out and commissioned. And John saw these things taking place as though, I don't want to demean it, but almost as though it was a dress rehearsal. He saw all of it, more than he could write, more than he was allowed to explain to us. This is going to happen. An easy assumption would be that Isaac, a father, trembled with fury that he had been deceived by his son Jacob. But the actual Hebrew word for trembled is defined by Strong's as uh, to tremble, to quake, to move about, to be afraid, to be startled, to be terrified, or terrorful, or full of terror. Now, I've been angry with my children before. Never full of terror. I don't know that this Hebrew word is being applied to how Isaac's children made him feel. I think this is conviction. This is an Isaac who was bound and suspended above flame and below blade back in Genesis 22. This is an Isaac who saw a ram caught in the thicket for him. It was his own deceit that had been discovered. God found him out. Henry Morris wrote, Hebrew scholars tell us the original language is extremely graphic. Something like Isaac trembled most excessively with great trembling. This wasn't a shiver down his spine. In this moment, Isaac would be permitted to see that he had betrayed the trust of his own father, Abraham, and had practically destroyed his own home, all because of a carnal appetite and adulation of his son's physical exploits. Some folks might get mad at hearing this, but Isaac's the leader of that home. He's the dad. He's the husband. He's the leader of that home. Hear me. I don't care about your opinions. I want you to hear the word of God. Isaac's the leader of the... Well, preacher, how can you say such a thing? Because Rebecca's not trembling. Rebecca was led poorly just like these boys. And she's still out in the hall hatching new plants. But Isaac's in the bed trembling. It's as though God himself had alerted Isaac to the fact that you've done poorly. You've done a bad job, and you're the leader of this home. Everything else that was said in bad motion is still in bad motion as we exit this chapter. But Isaac's left trembling. It's a shame. We've lost sight of what the house, what the home, what the family should look like. It's a shame that our pride gets involved and distorts the word of God and tries to make it say what we want it to say so we feel good 
what we want it to say so we feel important. God's will always wins. God's will always wins. How are we doing, dads? Raising children is a careful balance of correction and encouragement, not praise and not alienation. Correction and encouragement, not praise and not alienation. Too much correction pushes our children away. Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Further proof. Who leads the home? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. This doesn't say parents. Did Paul not know the right word for parents? Of course he did. He says fathers, because fathers are to lead the home. And when it says nurture here, it's not a uh, participation trophy. Make them feel good even if they did bad. This word nurture is translated elsewhere as discipline or chastening. Provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the discipline or chastening and admonition of the Lord. It means straighten the path. Keep them on it. Too much encouragement will become a praise, will, will become praise, and only God is deserving of praise and glory. Too much encouragement says, you did great. It doesn't matter what you're measured by. Wrong. No, it doesn't matter so much what the world has to say, but our children have to know there's a right and the wrong. We are teaching them their place in creation. Their needs, uh, their needs compared to their wants will form a correlation based on where we have told them their place is. Have we worked so hard to tell them, as Isaac did of Esau, that their place in the food chain is at the top? Or have we pointed them to the fact that they've been created, that there is a creator? Do they need salvation or PlayStation? Is their desire to serve or to be served? I think of a, a movie that came out, I guess years ago at this point. Uh, Will Ferrell plays a character not even a really a main character I don't think but anyway um, he's living at home with his mom as an adult and some friends stop by and he says mom meatloaf and of course she scurries around to make meatloaf parents we're not doing our kids any favors laughing at that our kids need to know the proper order of things and this book does a perfect job laying it out the third point is Esau's heart. Esau's situation here at the end of the chapter presents a conundrum that still ties man up in riddles today. Based on what the world has taught of a so-called God, he should be one of love. He should be one of infinite forgiveness and supreme kindness. How could he not forgive and restore one who here cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry? You know, most parents today, if their children cried with an exceeding bitter cry, they'd say, oh, time out. Start all over again. Reset. Give me that blessing back, Jacob. We're going to split that blessing down the middle, and you both get even blessings. And Jacob says, why? And Esau says, because I cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. Hmm. Is that how we lead? Is that how we raise our children? Don't answer. It's absolutely how we raise our children. Those that are being called snowflakes on television, in the news, we did that. 
We've abandoned our children. We've abandoned the principles of home. We've abandoned leading our home in a godly manner as though we trust the children will figure it out. You ever witnessed a child throwing a tantrum in the aisle of a busy store? Pretty easy to do that this time of year. What should the parent do? <laughs> you want to start an argument. Ask that question when you're not preaching a sermon and other people can answer. What should the parent do? Kids loosen their mind because something was in the cart or something wasn't put in the cart and they felt that it should be or should not be. And they're losing their mind, making a big scene. What should the parent do? Their child is earnest in his or her scene making. Should they not give in just to get the kid to behave? Should they not give the child what they want so that they settle down? Shouldn't the parent negotiate with terrorists? Because this is what it is. Where is the earnestness of the parents? Are they so mutable that the rules change if someone is crying with great and exceeding bitter cries? You're not saved because you cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. I know it sounds good, but that's not the source of salvation. God will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. God will show compassion on whom he will show compassion, not on whom cries a great and exceeding bitter cry. Let us consider what the writer of Hebrews said of Esau one more time. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. We've read it many times, um, so I'm going to go ahead and just get started here. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say Jacob took it. He said Esau sold it. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it, with, uh, sought it carefully with tears. Uh-oh. Scripture literally comes right out and says, he was rejected. He found no place of repentance. Could this be a God of love and not give place to repentance of one who sought it carefully with tears? Who one who cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry? That doesn't earn salvation. There's so much for us to learn from Genesis 27. But we're too lazy to study God's word. Myself included. We're too lazy to find out what it really says that we hate on the preachers and the teachers because they said something we didn't like. Prove it. It's made plain. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The writer considers the fact that he did seek after it carefully with tears. And the writer confirms he was rejected. He found no place of repentance. Did he not weep? Did he not plead? But there was no true repentance. He hated his birthright, folks. We read that in, this in, in the previous text of this chapter. 
He hated the responsibility to lead and pursue spiritual things. He had remorse, yes, but not sincere repentance. He was sorry for what he had lost, not sorry for what he had done. He did not look diligently, as the writer of Hebrews says, and as a result, we see the bitterness that sprung up, just as it did with Cain. What is it that Cain did to Abel? He was, he was wrath, was he not? He rose up and slayed his brother. Bitterness sprung up. Same thing happens here. Matthew Henry wrote, When Esau understood that Jacob had got the blessing, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. The day is coming when those that now make light of the blessings of the covenant and sell their title to spiritual blessings for that which is of no value will in vain ask urgently for them. Isaac, when made sensible of the deceit practiced on him, trembled. Uh, when he was made sensible of the deceit that was practiced on him, he trembled exceedingly. Those who follow the choice of their own affection rather than the divine will get themselves into perplexity. Those who part with their wisdom and grace, their faith and a good conscience for the honors, wealth, or pleasures of this world, however they feign a zeal for the blessing, have judged themselves unworthy of it, and their doom shall be accordingly. Consider this. Could Isaac even begin to explain to Esau what had truly occurred? Where would Isaac start? Now, we know the text, and I won't spend a ton of time on it because of the hour, but we know the text. Well, Isaac could say, well, you, two chapters ago, God told us before you were even born that this was going to happen. So you see, it's not even my fault. We don't see any evidence where Isaac's ever taught like that. What happened with Lot when he tried to suddenly speak right to his children? They laughed at him. Is this a joke? Is this some kind of comedy? Judgment and wrath. Come on, Daddy Lot. We know how you live. You know how we live. You must be fooling. How could Isaac even try to explain to Esau the significance of what had taken place? He trembled any more than he could have explained to his dear wife that meddling and helping God was not needed. Any more than Lot could have explained to his wife and daughters the importance of not turning around, not looking back, living a right and holy life. The last and final point is Esau's blessing, and I just want to speak on this for a moment. Uh, it was a common blessing that Isaac bestowed upon uh, Esau here. This is truly what he desired. And it doesn't sound like it, but again, think of the kid in the grocery store throwing a tantrum. He's throwing a tantrum because you bought bananas and celery, and he wanted fudge-dipped Oreos, which are delicious instead. Maybe he wanted a transformer instead of a soccer ball. Whatever it might be, Mom, Dad, you had the right idea. You know what's best for him, but he doesn't like it. Same here. Matthew Henry says again, faint desires of happiness without right choice of the end and right use of the means deceive many unto their own ruin. Multitudes go to hell with their mouths full of good wishes. The great difference is that there is nothing in Esau's blessings which points at Christ. And without that, the fatness of the earth and the plunder of the field will stand in little stead. Thus Isaac by faith blessed both his sons according as their lot should be. And I would add to Matthew Henry here, according to how God said it would be. 
This is just how God said it would be. Again, Genesis 25, 23, And the Lord said unto her, unto Rebekah, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Beloved, sin in the home always, 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 always brings heartache and misunderstanding. Sin in the home. Try to walk away from heathen holidays. Try doing the wrong thing for years and then explaining to your children, well, we were wrong all those years and now we can't do that anymore. Try, as we quoted on Sunday, taking one little thing you shouldn't have and then explaining to your children and maybe your grandchildren why you're going to be stoned, why you're being judged by God for something you led them down the path to do. This truth is evident in many ways in this chapter. Even in the passing of time, Isaac believed himself to be close to death at the start, but lived to 180, according to Genesis 35, 28. Rebekah sent Jacob to safety here in the end a few days, it says in the text, and that ended up being 20 years. Had Isaac and Rebekah not taken sides with their two boys... Had they continued to pray about matters as in their early married life, Rebecca is the one who beseeches God. She was taught that. This wasn't something she knew before the faithful servant brought her back. This is something Isaac had to have taught her, or perhaps Abraham had instructed them to do. Had they stayed on that path, had they watched as God had his way, received the message of Genesis 25, 23, and said, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he says he's going to do it, and his way is better. So we're just going to follow after and see. We're going to wait on the Lord and watch and see. Then the affairs would have been different. Perhaps they would have sought good wives for their boys, as Abraham had done for Isaac by this age. As it was, all of them suffered because of their unbelief and disobedience. We never get too old to be tempted. We never get too old to fail. And as long as there's breath in our lungs, we are not too old to repent. And I encourage you to do so. May the Lord uh, do a work in our hearts. May he restore our homes. We have no right to ask for a revival for this nation if we're not willing to restore our homes. May we beseech God. May we show our families the proper place for God in our homes that all things would be set right.